It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. On C103. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We welcome you along to the programme. When is the rain ever going to stop? If you look across other parts of the world, you'd stop and think, mm, maybe I'll take the rain over what some countries are experiencing at the moment and are expected to experience across this weekend. I mean, summer has certainly arrived with a bang in the northern uh, hemisphere. There is what's been described as a brutal heat wave. It's gripping parts of Europe, China and the United States. Record temperatures are expected this uh, week. Weekend. And of course, everyone is pointing to it's a stark illustration of the dangers of the warming uh, climate. Extreme heat advisories have been issued for over a million people in America with the National Weather Service there, particularly forecasting dangerous conditions for Arizona. California, Nevada and for uh, Texas. And while that's happening in the States, closer to our home here in uh, Europe, uh, the France, Germany, Italy, Spain and Poland are all baking in searing uh, temperatures. The mercury could go as high as 48 degrees on the islands of Sicily and Sardinia this weekend. And that's coming from the European Space Agency. And they say potentially the hottest temperatures ever recorded in Europe uh, could happen at this uh, weekend. The EU Climate Change Monitoring Service has said the high temperature in Europe, they're not, this isn't an isolated case because when you look at, from a meteorological point of view, if you look what's happening all around the world, this is this extreme heat uh, is happening in other areas uh, as well. Uh, the EU Climate Change Monitoring Service said we know that the climate is changing. We know that there is a warming, the, the warming temperature, that these heat waves are going to become more and more common. But as they become more common, they're going to become more frequent and they're also going to become uh, more intense. North Africa, for example, they're also uh, sweltering. The Moroccan Meteorological Service have issued an extreme heat red alert for southern parts for this weekend and China some regions of China including the capital Beijing they're also experiencing sweltering uh, temperatures and actually I was reading that a major Chinese power company said yesterday they had their single day power generation it hit a new record high that was actually on Monday of this week and I'm assuming that had a lot to do with people trying to turn on their air uh, conditioning Uh, extreme weather is resulting from a warming climate and is, is a 
unfortunately it's become the the new norm as from the World Meteorological Organization and of course excessive heat is one of the deadliest meteorological events and last year there was a study that estimated 61,000 people died from heat during Europe's record-breaking summer last year and we're expecting that record, the records that were set last year to be broken again this year. And I was reading earlier this, I think it was yesterday actually it happened, there was a road worker in, it was in, in, in a town in northern Italy and he was out, you know, painting the white lines on the road and uh, he collapsed and died, a 44-year-old uh, man. So that kind of extreme heat is so, so dangerous. So we're looking at, I wouldn't quite call it a soft day out there with the amount of rain that is falling, but it certainly take that over 10 temperatures of up to 45 degrees so if you are heading abroad this weekend be very careful please 0818 103 103 we will be speaking with the member of the Public Accounts uh, Committee who uh, attended yet again another meeting on behalf of uh, RTE executives and of course one of the things that came out from the meeting yesterday was that Ryan Tuberty is currently being not being paid by RTE and this was after the broadcaster declined an invoice now I don't think no, Ryan Tuberty I'm assuming Noel Kelly uh, sent it in it was sent in this week the state broadcaster uh, is also now expected to ask Ryan Tuberty to repay the €150,000 that was the money he received for the road shows they were the road shows that never uh, happened and Kevin Backhurst yesterday said they expect him to pay it back but he did admit he's under no legal obligation to return the money. There was a, a, an offer on the table. He was promised that money so he was entitled to so there's no legal obligation but if you revert back and I was surprised that nobody put it to Kevin Backhurst yesterday when Ryan Tuberty was before the same Oireachtas committee on Tuesday he said he would willingly pay it back. He said, you know, if I don't do, if I don't work for it, if I don't do these road shows and it isn't looking like you do the road shows because he's not doing the Late Late Show anymore, he said he would willingly uh, give it back. There are now, would you believe, six reviews taking place at the broadcaster. Yesterday, the Public Accounts Committee uh, hearing RT representatives included Kevin Backhurst. First time, of course, for them to hear from Kevin Backhurst because he only took over the job on uh, Monday. He pushed back very strongly on suggestions made by Ryan Tuberty and his agent Noel Kelly on Tuesday that a deal involving the presenter, he was disputing what they said uh, about it. And this was the deal between Renault, RT and Ryan uh, Tuberty. Um, and he is disputing that it was always, Kevin Backhurst was disputing that it was always said to be underwritten by RTE. That assertion by Noel Kelly was rejected by the Deputy Director General Aidan Lynch yesterday who said no agreement had been reached to underwrite the deal until the former Director General D. Forbes gave a ver- had a verbal conversation with Noel Kelly. And the committee also heard that RTE had declined to pay Ryan Tuberty on his invoice uh, this week. And what Kevin Backer said was, we need to decide exactly what what we are paying him because he's not doing his past duties anymore which would have been included obviously in his in the last contract that he signed asked if RT would seek to reclaim the money he said yes he wants it back uh, but some I was reading another article so much again in the papers on it it is possible that this invoice has gone in maybe it's for the month of May which would have been the last month that he would have done a full month of all of his radio shows and would have done all of his Late Late Show appearances they would have finished 
his last show would have been at the end of May but of course only Ryan Toberty uh, can tell us or Noel Kelly can say what that invoice was uh, for and GAA Go that also uh, got a mention uh, yesterday uh, and of course we heard about this uh, the on the Wednesday I can't tell you know which committee meeting that was at but it seems GAA Go which has infuriated so many of our listeners and they don't like the idea of having to pay to watch a GAA match Behind a paywall, people want those matches up on free-to-air services, be that RTE, TG Cahar, or Virgin Media. They don't care where it is, but they don't want to have to pay for it. They're now under investigation by the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, and that's for breaches and expansion of its broadcasting activities. The CCPC told the Irish Examiner, that an inquiry into both RTE and the GAA, their joint venture called GAA Go, has now been launched after it became clear it didn't have the appropriate approval to operate that service on a domestic pay-per-view service. Because remember, GAA Go introduced in 2014 and it was introduced for the diaspora. So for people around the world to be able to stay in contact with home and be able to support their county when they went out in a match so this wonderful service was put in place everyone thought it was great for the for expats uh, living abroad now I do know and I do understand why they started offering it here at home that was got a lot to do with the pandemic but now the pandemic is gone and people are back watching matches again but it seems they should have gone to the Consumer Protection uh, Commission for permission to be able to ask domestic customers to pay for the preview uh, to pay for this uh, pay-per-view uh, service so that's a bit of a sticky place that RTE and the GAA for GAA Go find themselves in. We will watch that with great interest. Michael on RTE says, Patricia, another day of mistruths yesterday. You have some mind boggling stuff going on. It's now very obvious that there are three sides to this story. There's my side, there's your side and then somewhere in the middle or somewhere on the other side is the truth. Alfred Hitchcock couldn't have written it better. I thought Colin Burke yesterday shone out in his line of questioning, his legal background paving the way. I still believe that D Forbes was only told as little as possible. Her side of the story has yet to be told. We are we've a long ways away from closure on this story with others to follow. Yeah, I just I can't wait for the day that Dee Forbes is well enough to be able to come out and tell her story. And I have to agree with you, by the way, on uh, uh, Deputy Colin Burke. I thought he was particularly good yesterday and the way he questions and the way he puts his question and he asks a question and then he listens for an answer because unfortunately some of the others who were asking questions weren't as concise in formulating their questions as as Colin was. Now, it's his legal background uh, for sure. But many of the other, not all, but a lot, some of the other participants in the P, the PAC, I felt at times that they, they were using their time and they were all, you know, the, the three, four minutes or whatever it was. Some of them were using it for, for grandstanding. You know, they were asking these very long, grandiose questions. And then as soon as the person from RTE tried to answer, they were interrupted uh, immediately with another big, grandiose uh, question. Whereas Colm uh, was cool, calm, collected, stuck to the point and 
I think got the answers uh, because of it so so well done to Colin thank you for that uh, Michael and then someone else says Patricia the money involved in the RTE slash Ryan Tuberty scandal dispute whatever you want to talk about it really is a pittance compared to the billions of taxpayers euro poured into the children's hospital it is however in the politicians best interest to keep everybody focused on the RTE soap opera rather than these billions which have been wasted by the government itself in mismanaging this project we are being cleverly distracted but we need to be aware of reality thanking you I have been following that children's hospital saga I can't believe yet again the date of when that hospital is actually opened and children will be admitted to the hospital has been uh, pushed out again. And I was thinking during the week when I was seeing the latest dates of when they hope for the hospital uh, to open, I was thinking there was children who needed to go into that new children's uh, hospital when it was first mooted, who by the time it's opened will have children of their own. It really is crazy. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the programme yesterday, members of the RTE Executive and the RTE Board once again appeared before the Public Accounts Committee with the new Director General Kevin Backer saying the payments controversy was one of the most shameful and damaging episodes in the organisation's history. Cork East Fianna Fáil Deputy James O'Connor as a member of the PAC uh, Committee uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. James, would you agree that what has taken place to date is completely unacceptable, both for you as public representatives and as us, members of the general public? Well, it's certainly tiring. Um, I think that the public have grown incredibly frustrated by what's gone on. Um, I've really felt above everything else this week is that there's just an all-merciful turn in the public mood. Um, So what we know to be the case is that there was significant uh, questions arose around these invoices that were, you know, to some degree or fashion, uh, not, not appropriate. Um, and I think there's going to be some degree of trouble will come out of that as well. So there's, there's an external auditor, an investigative accountant has been sent in through Mazars um, by the government to go into, um, into RTE, to go through every single document now as a consequence following on from these Iraqis meetings, for these committee meetings. Um, but also, I, I think, you know, above all else, what's really became apparent at yesterday's meeting uh, was that the executive board of RTE don't even know what's going on. And that to me is, is it's incredibly concerning because it means that this is not a story that's going to go away. Um, and I think everybody out there would like to see some closure on this three weeks later. And unfortunately, because of just how bad the mismanagement is within RTE, it's going to take a lot longer to fix it. Yeah, we're now, I, I, I couldn't believe when I read it in the paper this morning, 26 is the number of hours that the Dáil has spent probing payments between all of the, the different uh, committees. And, and I wonder, are we any further to finding out what uh, what really happened? Everybody seems to have their own, uh, I'm, I'm slow to say people are lying, but everybody seems to have a different memory of what actually happened. I think the big part of the missing jigsaw has got to be D Forbes. It, it is. And, and, and in addition to Dee Forbes as well, Breedy O'Keefe's name now, unfortunately, has come into it too. She refused to appear before the Public Accounts Committee saying that she had nothing more to add. 
And this was only as a consequence of Tuesday's meeting, I feel. That's just my own opinion and view. I have to be very careful from a point of view of um, of defamation. Um, but I, I do want to say that, that the documents that Ryan Tuberty's agent and him released ahead of the Tuesday Public Accounts Committee meeting where Tuberty and Noel Kelly came before the PAC um, showed that Breda was actually aware of the negotiations because she was tagged in the emails. There were emails between her and Noel Kelly uh, management uh, on behalf of Mr. Tuberty and also uh, D Forbes. So we can't bring D Forbes in at this point in time for pre predominantly for legal reasons. We can go down the route of compelability, which is basically like the, like the subpoena route, you know, where, where people are forced to come before us. But D Forbes is not appearing before us on medical grounds, and I think we need to revisit. Uh, that at a later point um, so we'd have to wait I think until the autumn time realistically before we can revisit that and actually ask um, for D Forbes to appear before the PSE to answer, answer further questions there's also some suggestions as well um, that Reynolds would be asked to appear before the PSC to explain their role in the tripartite agreement so the tripartite agreement was between um, Noel Kelly management and, 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 and Ryan Tuberty of course being, being one part of that agreement uh, RTE was the other and Reynolds was the third and basically what actually happened we learned on Tuesday is that Ryan was paid two years in advance money for services that have yet to be provided and there was invoices provided for that that were paid into an, a different company uh, and that I think that's where the, the biggest wrongdoing happened but I'd also say this about Ryan Tuberty is that he was very wronged I feel by RTE because they were in full flat denial on the first public accounts committee appearance two weeks ago around executive board members having any sight or knowledge um, of 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 the pay arrangements that were in place which subsequently turned out to be not accurate um, and untrue and, and, and I suppose from his perspective that's done him a huge amount of reputational damage and harm and also on, on, on a latter note I think that Ryan, uh, of all the RT stars that I feel most sorry for, I think what happened to Marty Morrissey was despicable. Uh, and that was caused by a vacuum of information where it turned into a little bit of a witch hunt to see who was provided with a car by RTE. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Marty Morrissey found himself in the cross the crossfire there. And everybody I've spoken to, you know, they, they have great admiration and respect for Marty Morrissey, what he's done for the promotion of Gaelic games in Ireland uh, and other work that he does, whether it's charitable uh, or community based work. Uh, and they'd like to see that man being treated with the respect that he deserved by RT. And I don't think he was. OK, and of course, it was it was another Renault uh, car. Uh, can I just ask, has, has anybody considered bringing somebody from Renault before any of the committee meetings just to get their side of the story? Yes, there was some discussion privately amongst members yesterday um, to see if that would be an approach that we could look at. Um, I was actually suggesting it myself to a few people. I spoke, spoke with a couple of committee members just to see what their mood is on it. You know, there's a little bit of, of unease at this point in time because, as you've said uh, at, at the opening of the interview, that there's been, I think it was at 18 consecutive hours now of RT being before the committee. 26. Um, I didn't know it was the or 26, 26. Apologies, Patricia. Yeah. I didn't know that the count had gone that high. Yeah. So we have to make a decision now about what what do we do next as committee members? Do we allow the government's um, forensic accountants to go in to Mazars to actually draw up the report, which I'd imagine will take them about three or four months to go through everything before we come back at this? And then as a consequence of having evidence from a report to go back at it again and then the Grant Thornton second report is also underway into into an internal audit. And the Grant Horton first report as well, which which helped to identify 
um, some of the items uh, as a consequence of of these of these private secret payments that Tobridge was in receipt receipt of, um, as well is, is is out there, and that wasn't accurate. So there's two ongoing reports into the finances of RT or ongoing audits, uh, and I think it's probably best for us to sit back now just for a couple of of couple of months to allow Mazars to do the the, the forensic report and go on the basis of that because at least um we have independent evidence versus who said what's uh, who said what um between rte and noel kenny management and and renault as well and i I'd prefer to for us to do that because i think it's the more responsible thing to do and your views on the future of ryan Tuberty within rte <sighs> I have to be very careful here. Um, probably most above all else for legal reasons. I, I think I, I'll say this about Ryan. Uh, I've met him personally. I've the only time I've met Ryan. I've, I met him once there recently. In, in, in when when one of my friends actually was actually on the the late late show, and um, as as a guest, and I got to meet Ryan, and he was a lovely, lovely person to meet in person. And, and a lot of people are very fond of Ryan. Um, but I have to say there there was some um, wrongdoing on 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 his own behalf. Um, there was a lot of wrongdoing, in my view, on his agent's behalf. And I think that the thing he needs to address now is the money that he's been paid for, for work that has not yet been done is something he should look at paying back RTE for. And I think that would be very important, or even better still. He did offer, though. He did, he did offer the other day. To, he said he had no problem paying it back. At the very end, at the very end of the process, when, when RTE themselves said they were going to be looking for that money back, which came yesterday, as well, you know, it, it was very late in the day. And when, once that happens, maybe that would provide a reconciliatory uh, window for him um, to step forward and, and, and make a return to, to broadcasting. I don't know where that return is going to be. Um, I do know this, that there is very significant anger in RTE with Ryan Tuberty. Um, the public, I think that the mood is a little bit different, that there are people out there that, you know, that they're very fond of Ryan. There's people that dislike Ryan. Um, there are people out there that are angry with the mistakes that he made, but there is not a, a uniform view in the public uh, about Ryan's future as well. Um, and I think the best thing he can do for his own career is to take a break for a while, uh, to pay back the money or to pick a charity to pay the money to. Um, and, and I think take, taking a break is important because, unfortunately, I think a return to, to broadcasting immediately is, is just unrealistic considering what has happened. OK, and of course, we can all have our whatever opinions we want on this. It's it's Kevin Backhurst uh, who will make the decision. Are, are you confident in uh, Kevin Backhurst and what he now needs to do for uh, RTE? The one person uh, in the executive board now that I have a lot of questions is around Mr Lynch. Um, he's the assistant director general of RTE. Um, he was there under Miss Forbes, and he's there now under Kevin Backhurst. And I asked Mr. Backhurst yesterday, did he have confidence in his assistant director general? And he said that he did. Um, but I would say to Mr. Backhurst that he's been provided now with a golden ticket to go in and completely and utterly change how RTE is run on the basis of this crisis. Um, and that has given him an opportunity to change personnel at the very top. Um, you know, and, and the mistakes that have, 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 have been made in RT have been done so because of complacency and neglect by members of the executive board, because of the lack of oversight that was being done internally, whether it was in relation to the internal audits in RT, whether it was in relation to the audit and risk committee of RT, which was only made up of four people. Um, for example, big organisations, I actually referenced UCC yesterday, um, they would have um, a minimal requirement of having five to seven 
um, that would be tasked with analysing what things are 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 huge risks to the organization um whether it's to do with the the reputational damage aspect of it um whether it's to do with editorial independence um for uh, so you know within rt that structure there was not being treated with the respect that it deserves the remuneration um aspect of it as well about what the pay arrangements were or for, for, for rte stars um is also something that needs to be looked at and finally and certainly not least I think the engagement with uh, agents as well, Patricia, is going to be a big part of RT's future about how they actually, you know, have a relationship with agents and perhaps where one particular agent, agent may end up having uh, too much of an influence on a particular channel uh, or a particular radio radio. Um, I wonder, radio, yeah, radio, I was I was um, I was thinking about that because uh, I think it was Noel Kelly said he represents three of the top ten earners, and then he said that the, an another person represents seven of the the other top ten. I don't know who that other yes. uh, agent is. Can RT refuse to deal with an agent and just deal with the let's use the word talent? Can they not just talk to the person themselves? That's 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 what I feel myself. And, you know, Brian Tuberty said that he wasn't in receipt. He's not in receipt of any pension from RT. So I think from a financial point of view, obviously, there is two sides to it where, yes, the top presenters are on very high salaries, but they're not entitled to a pension that, that is linked to the salary that they're on. Um, so there is a kind of a benefit for RT working with agents, too. And that has to be said if I on Aaron Lavella on the other hand. But I, I would say this much. When you have one or two people that have that much power uh, over the, the the running and operations of the station, effectively when it comes to salary negotiations, it gives them a very very strong upper hand. Uh, and what they do need to analyse now is being realistic: is 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 it sustainable anymore to be paying stars five hundred thousand euros? When it turned out that I think the last time Ryan Tuberty's contract had expired, he didn't have any other offers. Mm. Um, but yet still they did they, they did put the arrangements mm. in place. And I also think so, that the agents know. who represent, you know, more than one uh, client for the, for the same company are at a distinct advantage when they go in. They, you know, Noel Kelly would have known what he negotiated for Ryan Tuberty when he's going in to negotiate for, say, the likes of Claire Byrne, uh, which, it, which again puts him, gives him the stronger upper hand when he goes in to sit with RTE because he knows how much he was able to get for one client and here, for, and here's another one of his, uh, of his clients and so he can go in there and push for a higher figure knowing what they're paying somebody else he can and, and you know Noel Kelly's first public appearance he's amended enjoys privacy um, was 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 on on the, on the committee the other day and you know the opinion on him after that committee meeting was was very interesting that there were some people saying that his performance was 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 not good there were others saying that he was going to be getting a huge number of new clients because they were impressed at how well, he managed yeah, to that he to does his job well he does his job well i'll give him that listen james yes. we leave it there um i, I wish we were closer to uh, exactly what has happened um uh, but uh, hopefully hopefully all that will come out of this is a better and a stronger rt and i think that's what everybody wants we'll leave it there we'll talk again thanks for, and thanks Thank for joining you, us this morning good morning to you that is uh, Cork East Dáil Deputy and a member of the Public Accounts Committee Deputy James O'Connor. Now it seems the decision has yet to be made on how to dispose of the enormous carcass of a whale which came to rest on a Kerry beach last weekend. Now signs have already gone up by Kerry County Council warning the general public to please stay away but unfortunately local people are reporting queues of people going along to uh, visit the whale remains every day. Uh, Padraig Cooley is with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group and Porrick joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Porrick. Uh, sorry, I'm on the wrong line. Good morning, Porrick. 
Good morning. Uh, you're, you're welcome. Firstly, are you shocked to hear so many people going down to see the remains of this poor creature or do you in some way understand it? Oh, absolutely understand it. I mean, it's the summer holidays. Uh, m- mothers around the country are looking for interesting things to do. And uh, uh, what could be more interesting to taking them uh, to, to, to a beach to see the you know the the body of the second largest animal on the planet so yeah no i i totally get it and the irish whale and dolphin group has you know spent 30 years encouraging members of the public to go and see these animals both dead and alive uh, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity you know obviously uh kerry county council have have some concerns uh because i think it's probably more to do with the, the nature of the access. They just don't want people, uh, you know, it might be slippy access across rough ground to the animal. don't think it's particularly anything to do with the animal itself, you know. Uh, but, you know, we would ask people to, to obviously, uh, especially when you've got little ones, to take the usual precautions when you're, you're traveling, uh, walking over rough ground to get to it. But no, I would see no reason why people, uh, you know, shouldn't and couldn't, couldn't go and see this animal as long as access to it was safe. Or the smell though there must be it must be a very strong stench at this stage Paul Rick with the way Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, we went for a, a, a walk the other day uh, in a field that had a dead cow in it, and you oh. can smell the dead cow about a hundred meters away. Now, um, my nose would be finely, finely tuned to the smell of dead, uh, dead, dead mammals. But you know, if you're walking past the ditch, you, you get that acrid, sweet smell, uh, and it might be something like a dead rat or even a rabbit in the ditch or something like that or uh, or a small mammal like a cat or something like that. You, you smell it a long way off. So you can imagine what the, what big the, animal uh, like that. the assault on the yeah. olfactory sense yeah. with, with, with a whale that's you but, know nearly 65 foot long. You know, But, but what about these reports, Port, that it could blow up? Why, what is that all about? Ah, yeah. There's, there's, listen, there's a couple of videos on social media and people making a huge deal about this you know car- carcasses when they're uh you know after a while you know you get this build up of gases just the same what happened with us which is uh which is what why 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 we're we're embalmed when we are you know experts look at our bodies after we die to make sure all this doesn't happen but there's a natural build up of gases with a with a mammal uh when it dies and those gases need to be released somehow now uh you know oh you know, quite rarely it'll happen uh, that a whale will explode, but but something precipitates that. The whale just doesn't randomly explode. What'll happen is that it usually happens on whaling stations, or if people have killed a whale and they're cutting it open, and that first cut uh, all of a sudden releases this enormous amount of pressure because of the buildup of gases uh, inside the whale's body, uh, and, and and that sometimes can result in, in a carcass exploding. But the the but it, it's because of something we've done, like taking a flensing knife or a long slash hook and made an incision into mm. the cavity of the whale. And it's like bursting this enormous giant zit uh, and the, the carcass explodes. But, you know, members go, of the public going down and viewing the whale, for, you know, for, you know, from a distance, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, sit back, you know, sometimes as a species, we do increasingly things with animals uh, but you know don't go down and don't prod it and don't poke it and you know just watch it from a safe distance yeah, it is yeah. an amazing thing to do maybe block block your nose but there, I can't see any real risk uh, of, of the whale just randomly exploding, exploding. like okay. that it, okay. but, but and, if you took a slash uh, and you made a big insertion into the body cavity 
well then yes it, it, it theoretically could happen Okay I, I know that the local veterinary officer from, Cork, from Kerry County Council was there and I also read the members of your own uh, group have visited uh, the scene do you think it would be possible uh, to find out what happened to this whale? No, not really. I mean, to do that, you need to carry out a post-mortem and a post-mortem requires a fresh a fresh animal, an animal that has just recently died. Uh, and, you know, that's just the, the theory of it. Then you've got all the practical logistics. I mean, to carry out a post-mortem, it can really only properly be done under pretty forensic circumstances, i.e. in a lab uh, or, or or in a, you know, a, vet, a veterinarian practice like the regional vet labs who we've used over the last couple of years, both in Cork and up in Athlone. Uh, but it's, you so, but you can't really do that. You can't bring a 60-foot fin whale uh, in, into a laboratory and ask the, the state veterinary pathologist to do a post-mortem on the whale. So the best you would actually be able to do would be you know, a rough investigation, but it wouldn't really be a post-mortem, and it certainly wouldn't give you the cause of death. And So you have two issues. One is the logistics. It's a, it's a huge animal, and you can't easily move it to a place where you could carry out a post-mortem. The second is the fact that this animal was pretty dead by the time it washed up. It had been dead a couple, we reckon, a couple of weeks uh, and as a result of that, it just wasn't in sufficiently good body condition to carry out a post-mortem. So the reality is, like happens with most whales of this size, we, we will remain clueless as to the cause of its death. Okay, are they common in Irish waters? Um, reasonably common. The, the fin whale is uh, I would say along the core coast here we are saying few we were see, we are probably seeing fewer fin whales than we ever did uh, and that's possibly because of the way we're we're mistreating the uh, stocks of sprat and the likes of sandales uh, we're, we're, we're hoovering up too much of this small pelagic shoaling fish that these whales feed on but that said other counties are seeing more uh, fin whales like they have live fin whales at the moment uh, off the Kerry coast off places between uh, Scarif Island, Puffal Island, out towards the, the Skelligs and the Humpbacks. In fact, they had killer whales during the week off oh. Kerry. Uh, things seem to be quite quiet, a little bit quiet along the Cork coast at the moment, but other places along the west coast as well, like Donegal Bay and Broadhaven, they've had you know good humpback whale activity. So Whales, it seems, are kind of on the move. It, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was all, you know, West Cork, West Cork. And then about 10 years ago, Kerry started entering more into the, the picture. And now it seems, you know, these big whales, the likes of our fin whales, which we're talking about now, and humpback whales, they all seem to be sort of being seen by our teams and members of the public more up the West Coast. So it's a great opportunity for members of the public, for citizen scientists to see these animals and to report them back to the Irish Whale and Dauphin Group because by reporting, you know, these sightings to us, you're, you're helping us put those missing pieces of the jigsaw together as to exactly how these animals are, are using uh, our, our rich feeding waters. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of year, small... You know? So it's, you know, it, it's a good thing for members of the public to do. So if you have a sighting or indeed a stranding of an animal that's washed up, either dead or alive, you pick up the phone or you log on to the reporting app uh, and you report your sighting or stranding to the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. It, it, it's really important information. And a great when you're when you're saying families are looking for something to do with the kids. Uh, there's a lot of local operators doing, you know, whale watching, um, and it's a fantastic afternoon of uh, fun. Particularly if you get to see some um, some activity, it it, it really is great. Uh, and then the big question, uh, Pordrick, what is the best way to dispose of 
this carcass? Oh, uh, that's that's the you know, the six thousand dollar question. Uh, uh, in this instance, I mean, if there was an easy way of doing it, Kerry County Council would probably have figured it out. But the the issue here is, I mean, we've this has happened before. This is not the first time a large fin whale has washed up on an Irish beach. It's happened more locally here in Court McSharry back in twenty ten, and that whale, uh, you know, that was a great exercise. But a local community, that whale is now on public display in yeah. Britain. But that was a really best case out outcome where the whale was in an area on a public on a, in an area that was accessible for plant and machinery to get in there heavy lifting equipment and cutting equipment so that we could break the carcass of this whale up but you know these are huge animals and you you know you're when you're talking about a dead animal you're looking at a dead weight and we've no way of guessing what this animal would weigh but certainly probably weighing quite close to, if not more than 50 tons. Whoa. So to weigh, to lift 50 tons of dead weight onto machinery to take it off that beach is physically, it's going to be incredibly difficult. Plus the fact that the machinery can't get access to yeah. the beach just because of the nature of the, the rough ground around it. You can see in the RT footage, people are are, are, are climbing down a fairly steep uh, Rock pathway, face almost, yeah, steep yeah. pathway to get to it. So, Bill in Clonakilty, listening to my piece with uh, Padraig Cooley of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group about that m- absolutely ginormous fin whale which is washed up on the beach in uh, Kerry and what to do with it now. Bill has suggested and uh, the whale is a natural food source for other sea creatures. So why not get the big tubs that you see in the harbour in Ringeskiddy, put it out in the middle of the ocean and let nature take a cor- take its course. Surely it would be much more a cost a cost-effective uh, way to do to deal with it. Yeah, but listening to Porrick, the problem the Kerry County Council are going to have if they, do, you know, when and if they do decide to dispose of it, is getting the access to it. And I'm assume, assuming it would be the same with your suggestion, would it? You know, I suppose you could come in from the sea. Is, is that what you are suggesting and come in uh, that way? I know there's a group are suggesting preserving it and getting the bones and doing like what we spoke about with Porrick happened in Kilbritton because that prompted a listener to say, is that a fin whale that is in Kilbritton? And yes, it is. It's a, a fantastic um, skeleton of a fin whale. And I had to remind myself of the story. I was trying to work out when it actually uh, happened. It was it was a, a huge uh, fin whale that got beached uh, on the beach in uh, Kilbritton. Kilbritton was facing uh, Court McSherry Bay. It happened actually back in 2009. It's actually that long ago. It was in January of 2009 when the fin whale stranded itself um, uh, on the beach in El Kilbritton and it obviously got disorientated, seeming there was unusual tides at uh, the time. So what happened then was locals sprung into action and they did their really, really best to try to save this magnificent creature. They were dragging it back out into the sea. I know the Court McSherry lifeboat uh, got involved with all to no uh, avail and then eventually the poor whale unfortunately perished while it was on the shore. So then the locals decided what are we going to do now? So a speci- they flew a specialist in from America to take a look at the carcass uh, a necropsy which we're told is what you call an autopsy on a whale that was performed as the whale uh, lay there and the only problem then was what will we now do with the body so following the necropsy a group of local volunteers worked hard in the, in the few hours that were available to them in between tides 
to remove the blubber from the skeleton of the animal. The group was held by many members of the community, workers from local meat factories. Of course, they absolutely knew what they were doing. They all got involved. There was tractors provided and lorries were provided by local people uh, to help out the volunteers. And once the skeleton then was stripped and cleaned, they collected all the bones and they eventually reassembled them and they're on display in a public enclosure in uh, Kilbritton. And it's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's a massive, massive tourist uh, attraction for sure. And I know people in Kerry are saying, wouldn't it be great? I know there was one a PhD student from uh, from Killarney, a guy by the name of Sean O'Callaghan. I saw him quoted uh, in the paper as uh, saying that what we you know what we need to be doing is is maybe getting uh, getting somebody to do something similar to what they did in. Kilbritton and he said wouldn't it would be great to recover and preserve the skeleton and then put it on for future display in uh, Kerry uh, so I don't know whether that is going to happen or not but that is a massive massive undertaking go ask the guys and gals in Kilbritton and Court McSherry the work that they had to do uh, in order to preserve theirs so 0818103103 okay some of your commentary coming in um Yesterday's Public Accounts Committee and the ongoing saga of RTE and says, morning, Patricia, Ryan Tauberty is not innocent in all of this. Anne felt he was very much playing to the public gallery when he was giving his evidence on uh, Tuesday. No one, Suzanne, appears to be telling the truth. Well, somebody says, Patricia, I thought Deputy Colin Burke was excellent yesterday in his lining, line of questioning. He was so to the point, no waffle. He was a real, real pro. And there's a lot of people, I have to say, calling out Colin Burke and just saying how good he was uh, yesterday. Hi, Patricia. Yesterday's committee meeting sitting, I thought Alan Kelly and Cormac uh, Devlin appeared very immature. They appeared as immature adults who had no place on a committee of such importance. They appeared to be sniggering and laughing uh, even when others were speaking. Alan Kelly, I felt, is nothing but a showboater who appears to like the sound of his own voice with nothing really constructive to say. I wonder if he was audited, how would he, he fare out? As for Breda O'Keefe, who was the star of the show last week. She was the former chief financial officer, uh, the woman who came in and read a very, very detailed account of her memory of what happened. And then that got completely disputed this week. This texter says, as for her not attending this week, it was like her putting her finger up to the investigation. She's gone now. And by God, isn't she gone on a huge pay deal? It is disgraceful. And then it was the same breather, or not Brenda, it was Breathe O'Keefe, who then decided to text. So she was obviously sitting somewhere at home or at work, I don't know where, she was watching the proceedings online and then she decided to text in in the middle of it which caused consternation I have to say but of course now attention has been drawn to her severance package when she took the voluntary redundancy uh, package and I thought that question that was asked about you know when somebody takes a voluntary redundancy package it normally means that the job is redundant and yet we know her job isn't redundant because we know her, her job was taken over by uh, by somebody else um, Mr. the guy it was Noel Collins is, is his name who's in a process at the moment I don't know how long more he's going to remain in that particular job but anyway there's now a question mark over her severance package and it looks like again D Forbes is the one that they're pointing the finger at it looks like she was on a solo run to sign off on that particular uh, package uh, this is from PJ in Bantry says hi Patricia is it not 
that time of year when there's not a lot of news. Yes, PJ, they call it the silly season. RTE are shooting themselves in the foot here. If they carry on paying peanuts, all they will get are monkeys. I wonder why a lot of Irish celebs or stars go across the water, either to the BBC or go to the US of A. Well, they'll they'll earn much bigger wage packets uh, for sure, PJ. But I think the analogy that's always used, if you try to compare say wage packets in this country which with wage packets that are paid by the BBC it's a completely different animal. The BBC is totally funded by the licence fee but they have a much larger millions more of licence fee payers in the UK than we have in Ireland so they have a much bigger pot of money in which to pay the stars. We can never compete with that here in this country so I don't know why we ever decided to put our celebrities are our stars onto the same wage packet. I, I could never understand wh- why that went on and now we're going to see the end of it. It looks like we certainly are for the moment. Now, that, Thank you for your text. Now the text says, I think that RTE should be sold off lock, stock and two smoking barrels. If a public service broadcaster is required, then it can be provided by the medium of radio for my part I do not see RTE as unbiased news provider and therefore do not watch it and I do not listen to them I very much enjoy current affairs and I like to listen to presenters so I feel are unbiased but these are on radio stations for example like your good selves there at C103 I always listen to your wonderful programme thank you for that and by the way I do pay my TV licence but do not get any news from RTE in my opinion we should let it go and move on without this expensive dinosaur. Wow, that's somebody with very, very strong uh, views indeed and not at all happy uh, with um, RTE. 0818 John Paul taking your calls. Mike and Bantry is on to say, Morning Patricia, I don't think that there's anything wrong with people going to see the fin whale on the beach in uh, Kerry. It isn't every day that you get to get up close and personal with a fin whale. And that's from Mike and Bantry. Well, in fairness, uh, Potter Cooley of the Whale and Dolphin Group did say that. They do encourage people to go out, but as long as you're safe, it's just where this particular whale is at the moment. It doesn't seem to be safe. You've got to be very careful uh, getting down to it. But others are just seeing why would you want to be bringing children down to have photographs taken and selfies taken in front of this gorgeous uh, creature that sadly has passed away. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your call. C103 Jobs. Now, a full time admin assistant is wanted. It's to work in uh, Anakishta in Mallow. CVs to farmcoag.office one at gmail.com Murphy's Pharmacy there in Bohubui they've got a vacancy for a front of shop sales slash supervisor CV in a cover letter please to murphys.pharmacyjobs at gmail.com and you must have them in by the 31st of July Munster Drone Services have a vacancy for a sales advisor CV and cover letter please to hr at munsterdroneservices.com and a junior level office administrator is wanted to work in Bohabui. CVs to Claire at ingredientsolutions.net. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is 
C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The number of broken, subsiding and rattling manhole covers has become such a serious health and safety problem here in Cork County that the local authority has decided to raise the issue with utility companies at a national forum. The issue was raised by Fianna Fáil Councillor Seamus McGrath recently in County Hall and uh, Seamus joins me. Good morning to you Seamus. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks uh, for having me. Oh, well, it's great, it's great to have you on the programme. Now, I have to fess up and say a number of years ago, I actually split a tyre wide open when I hit a manhole cover uh, coming into uh, Mitchellstown. As councillors, do you hear a lot of complaints from constituents about manhole covers, particularly doing damage to vehicles? Y- yes, uh, very much so, Patricia. Um, look, it's a significant problem around the county. Um, I think you just have to travel any road, go into any town, village, uh, settlement, you will see these damaged covers, uh, these loose covers uh, on both the roads and the footpaths. And to be perfectly honest, my motion was triggered because of a damaged, uh, because of an incident that happened on a footpath and a lady took a nasty fall on one of these damaged covers, which wasn't you know, settled in properly with the footpath. It wasn't flush with the footpath, so it was a trip hazard. Um, and when you look around, when, when you become aware of this and you look around, you see how many of them are out there. Um, it's a If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Significant problem. The utility companies aren't stepping up to the plate as far as I'm concerned in repairing them. Um, I know that from dealing with issues for a long period in, you know, making complaints, trying to get maintenance work carried out, and it proves very, very difficult. And, you know, these covers are on public roads, public footpaths, and many people would, <clears throat> excuse me, consider it to be the responsibility of the county council. But in fact, it's not because they are the property of these various companies um, and they can be telecommunications, they can be broadband, they can be water services. There's a, there's a wide range of utility companies. Yeah, there's so, a number of company companies, utility companies involved here and it depends who owns which uh, manhole yeah. cover for who's responsible for it. But just talk me through, what is the procedure? I mean, for example, when you talk about, you know, that lady having a, having a nasty a fall when, yeah. she, when, she, when she tripped. So, when the companies identified that it was their manhole cover, just talk me through what happens, who reports it and, and how quickly do they respond? Well, they, they do not respond very quickly at all, and that's the problem. Um, the particular incident that I'm referring to, the repair has still not been carried out over ah. a month later, um, and that, that is why this is so frustrating. 
Now, I would have raised it with the council engineer, and to be fair, they have followed up with the utility company. Um, we we ourselves as public reps have have raised the issue as well. Um, to be perfectly straight, Patricia, in this particular case, we haven't even got a response, um, which is extremely disappointing. So, look, and this isn't um, unusual or atypical. This is what we are facing in trying to get essential repairs carried out on somebody's chamber covers um, that you see across roads and footpaths. And I suppose, as I say, it was a fall, a pedestrian fall that triggered my motion, but other members obviously brought in issues around um, loose covers on roads and, you know, persistent noise and rattling into all hours of the day and night. And I know that's a significant problem as well, because I've dealt with those complaints over the years as well. So this this, this is um, this is an issue that, you know, spreads across a number of um, areas, both in terms of noise complaints and, and so on, but also health and safety then if your car happens to hit one of these and it, it causes an incident or for pedestrians and footpaths. So the current system we have, if you pardon the pun, is broken, as well as many of these covers. Um, and we need to we need to put a system in place um, where repairs are carried out much more efficiently uh, and when issues are brought to their attention, that there is a follow-up quite quickly. Um, so look, I welcome the response from the acting head of roads in the council where he said this will be brought up at a national forum. It's it's known as the Joint Utility Local Authority Forum. Uh, he said it will be brought up quite quickly in the in the coming weeks uh, at this forum because Parker Council has a representative yeah, on it. And so I take look, I it, Seamus, that. when it is brought up at national level, we're not going to be the only county in Ireland that has this problem. It's a widespread problem. It is absolutely a widespread problem. And look, I just happened to walk my own town in Carrigline and I've been in Passage West. I've been in various villages in our municipal district and it is absolutely widespread. You see these covers, you know, they can be an inch or two below the footpath. They can be above the footpath. They can be sagging. You know, I mean, if you have bad lighting and if you have someone who just through no fault of their own isn't, you know, necessarily paying full attention, a fall or an incident can happen quite quickly. Uh, and that shouldn't be the case on busy footpaths, you know, on, on footpaths that are regularly used by pedestrians. And, you know, the incident I'm referring to was the main street of Carrick Line. So it's a high footfall area where there are a lot of pedestrians. And as I said, that repair hasn't been carried out yet. So that is why mm. uh, it is so frustrating for us. And look, I mean, people people have the right to look at other options after instance like that, whether they go down legal options or not. But, um, you know, if this does go to court, obviously, um, it will it will become clear quite quickly who is ultimately responsible. Mm. But as far as I'm concerned, the pro- it is the property of the utility company. But the well, fact that on it's on, yeah, the fact that it's on a public footpath or it's on the road, do people instantly think, oh, that's the responsibility of the council? They do, and and that is why they contact the likes of ourselves as public representatives. And I completely understand that, and I, I'm happy to follow up absolutely because these issues need to be resolved. But when I contact the council engineers. You know, they, they quite rightly said to me, look, that is the property of this company um, and they need to carry out the repair. And, and I totally understand that. I mean, even from an insurance point of view, they're probably not allowed to touch the property of some other company. So um, at the end of the day, these these covers and chambers are the responsibility of the companies to put them into place and they need to step up to the plate and carry out maintenance. I did have a motion only a short, what, maybe 18 months ago, Patricia, asking that there would be full surveys and audits carried out of these covers on a regular basis. Again, that hasn't happened. Uh, and if that happened, a lot of these issues would be prevented. You know, you, you, you'd you you'd notice, you know, the old saying is stitching time. Um, if you notice a cover that needed repair work early on, at least that could be done before any incident would take place. But it, it simply isn't happening on the ground and it needs to be radically improved. Someone wants to know, is there not an obligation on all of the utility companies to have the manhole cover flush with the road or the footpath? Is there a legal obligation? 
I would say absolutely. I mean, they, they have to operate under health and safety rules the same as everyone else. And if, if something presents a safety concern, if it's a trip hazard, um, I don't think they're living up to their responsibilities. And I mean, look, your listeners here, when it dries up, go out and have a look quite close to where you are at the moment. I'm sure you'll come across one of these covers that isn't that isn't neatly fixed in and, and properly secure. You won't have to go far to find one. Um, and that's the problem. This, that is why this is such a widespread problem. Um, and look, that is why so many councillors spoke on the motion and, 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 and you know, in support of the motion uh, and strongly related stories that they had themselves in terms of constituents onto them. Uh, it is a safety issue for both pedestrians and motorists, um, as well as a nuisance issue in terms of noise complaints. And well, so yeah, on. And for people, that, yeah, that's house, one that I hadn't until I looked into this yesterday. I mean, if you've got a house uh, that the front is is facing onto a, a road and one of these manhole covers is loose and cars are constantly going over, that must be the most annoying sound. It's 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 dreadful, and I did have a, a household in touch with me. Um, from the Passage West area on, on the main R610, the main road through it, um, where they had an issue like that. And it took us several months to get it resolved. Um, and that was through a lot of effort, uh, both myself and the council engineer, to be fair, also following up with, with the company involved. So, it, it you know, that that shouldn't be the case. These things should happen far more efficiently in a more streamlined manner. And that is what my motion was seeking to highlight. And to be fair, the response from the council did acknowledge it is a, it is a widespread issue and, and that they will follow up with the utility companies uh, to try and put a better system in place um, because that is what is urgently needed as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and someone else is asking if somebody does uh, has serious damage done to their vehicle due to a manhole cover or if somebody uh, worse gets injured in because of a trip hazard, can they claim compensation from the utility company? Well, look, that is a question for a solicitor, but as far as I'm concerned, it is the property of the utility company. And, you know, at the end of the day, they have responsibility to make sure it doesn't present a safety risk. So, you know, I think someone needs to talk to a solicitor if an incident like that happened, because I think they would have a reasonable case. Um, no, we, we often have the debate around potholes and cars getting damaged, and obviously potholes are the responsibility of the local authority. But when it comes to these utility covers, um, it isn't the local authority, it is the companies themselves. Yeah, it's not so, your fault. Yeah, 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 you get blamed for a lot of things. Don't be blaming, don't get blamed for the manhole <laughs> covers. And actually, interesting that you mention uh, p- uh, potholes. Uh, John in uh, Charleville, who describes it as the forgotten town, said there's a massive pothole in the middle of the main street in Charleville. I'm actually thinking it's so big that people could probably take a bath in it. Uh, with okay. the wet weather we have at the moment, um, Seamus, there'll be a lot more potholes, won't there? I'll, I'll touch base with Councillor Ian Doyle there in Charleville and okay. I'm sure he'll get on the job quickly on that one. But yeah, look, the, the weather obviously plays havoc with the roads in terms of, you know, the rain and, and the impact it has on the surface. But um, look, yeah, we as a council, we do our best, but obviously we, we need funding and, and it's all about resources. Um, but certainly some of the, you know, the unpredictable weather and the wet weather that we've had certainly has a huge impact on the road surface. Okay, see if you can get that one sorted out. It would be great, Seamus. Listen, Seamus, thank you for that thank and you. thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil, uh, Councillor Seamus uh, McGrath, uh, based out of uh, Carrigaline, 0818 103 103. And John in Kinsale, seeing as we're talking about the wet weather, etc., says, um, hi, C103, could you please ask all your motorists out there to please check their tyres and to check that their lights are working. Either get them checked 
are checking themselves. The amount of accidents because of bald tyres today and the amount of cars I've seen with bulbs or brake lights not working is absolutely shocking. That can and does lead to so many accidents. And that's from John in Kinsale. And with the wet weather, you certainly do not want to be driving around on bald tyres today. So guys and gals, take a look at your tyres, please. 0818 103 103. Electricity bills and the size of electricity bills. It seems more than 23,000 householders went into arrears on their electricity bills in just one month. And guess what? I'm I'm not surprised to read this. It was just after the last government electricity credit and I said it at the time when we got the last credit I said wait and see in two months time when the bills start to arrive in without this 200 euro we're going to have a lot of people in uh, trouble. Analysis uh, say that there may be some relief on the horizon for those struggling to pay what are sky high energy bills because it is expecting it is expected that we could see reductions of between 10 and 15 percent possible in the coming weeks and there's no definite on it. I, a couple of weeks ago I was reading that we wouldn't be seeing any kind of uh, decreases coming until well into the autumn but they're now saying maybe that might come a little bit earlier maybe the start of the autumn would that be in the next coming weeks is that what you'd call it uh, new figures supplied by the energy regulator the uh, CRU show that there were 240,791 ha- householders behind in their energy bills that's nearly a quarter of a million households were behind in uh, May with a further 165,000 people were in arrears for their gas the number of accounts in arrears then has risen in the last three months since the energy credit stopped those numbers have gone up by uh, 10% the CRU also say that the disconnections due to non-payments they began to rise again in April and in uh, May and that was as expected because of course April and May saw the lifting of the moratorium where you couldn't get a disconnection for uh, non-payment during the winter months remember they put that in place Uh, numbers are still small enough thankfully 153 people had their electricity disconnected and 215 gas customers. And Derek Cassidy of Bonkers.ie, he also agrees that the number of disconnections is relatively low, but he is urging householders, particularly, I mean, that's a huge, huge figure, uh, almost a quarter of a million people in arrears in May on their electricity. He's urging anyone with who is in, in arrears or they get a bill that they can't play to please engage with their supplier. You don't want to get to the stage where suddenly you go to hit the light switch and the electricity is gone. He points out and he reminds people that many suppliers have a hardship fund and that also, so, so the energy company itself, if you can put your case for it, may be able to help you out. But failing that, they can put you on to some kind of a payment uh, plan, which, uh, you know, you'll still end up paying it, but it might take the sting out of a very, very large bill. Uh, Derek Cassidy said with wholesale gas prices coming down, he believes that suppliers may start to announce price reductions in the coming weeks. But even when the price reductions start to get announced, he says we have to remember Ireland already has a very, very high gas and electricity charges. We are amongst the highest in the EU and he says the government should seriously be looking at further credits or similar supports for householders heading into the winter. I I would nearly, if I was a gambling person, I would nearly be putting money on that the government are going to have to do that. Now I imagine it's not going to get probably announced until the budget in October. 
but unless we see a you know a marked reduction in electricity and gas prices even if it was to drop by 10% it is still going to be extremely uh, high. And actually the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities the CRU are also saying that the energy crisis has actually prompted a large number of customers to try to hammer out the best deal they can get on their gas and electricity. It seems one in five customers actually renegotiated their contract with their same supplier, didn't want to move, decided you know they weren't going to get any better, better benefit by moving so they went back to who they were with and managed to get money off uh, their uh, their bills going uh, forward. It's close to a 50% rise in the numbers doing a deal with their electricity supplier when you compare it to a last year. The figures show people who came to the end of a one-year discount deal got onto their supplier immediately to get some uh, savings. Now, we know there's been a withdrawal of the majority of those very attractive discounts for people switching. Uh, the number of households moving supplier has remained at the same level as uh, previous uh, years. The uh, energy regulator, the CRU is insisting there's still good, good value to be had though by switching or else renegotiate but just don't let one contract roll into another contract without at least picking up the phone and having a conversation or contact them by uh, uh, email uh, because we know there was discounts of up to, I mean, I think at one stage when I switched I got a 40% discount. The best now a customer can probably expect is about 10%. But, you know, 10% on a very high bill uh, is a lot of money in your pocket at the end of the day. And the CRU gives some examples of people who did negotiate um, a discount. You could get a a bill um, um, from 1,607 for electricity or 1,266 for uh, gas. And when you think about it, a typical family at the moment is paying around 2,000 euro a year for electricity. So 10% off 2,000 is nothing to be uh, sniffed at. So they are saying that what you need to do is to, when your contract is up, either renegotiate or look at bonkers.ie or switcher.ie and see if you can get a better offer from somewhere else. Wholesale price of gas was 80% higher in 2022 uh, compared to the previous uh, year. But if you go back to just 2020, so go back just three years, the when you look at wholesale prices last year, it was 700 and 74% higher. That's how much wholesale prices uh, went up. And um, again, the CRU are saying all suppliers, of course, we know they all announced price increases last year due to that increased wholesale electricity costs. But we know the wholesale electricity costs are going down. Um, but when are they going to start passing on those savings to the customers? Ours to Protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. This week on Ours to Protect, we look at refill shops and how it impacts the circular economy. The circular economy is a model of production and consumption which involves sharing, leasing, reusing, repairing, refurbishing, and recycling existing materials. Wendy Hickey and her partner Andrea own Earthware Refill Shop in Middleton. We have an Irish company that gives us all the laundry detergent, washing up liquid and body care. And so what they do, they come in big 20 metre drums, but they take the 20 metre drums back, they wash them and then they refill them. So this is part of the whole circular economy, so they're not constantly making new 20 metre drums and 
throwing them into the recycling bin. So there's a lot more companies getting into the circular economy and it's nice to be part of that as well where then we can just keep reusing and reusing rather than constantly reproducing them. Zero waste refill stores are growing in popularity all over Ireland. These refill shops are for everything from food to bathroom essentials. Customers simply bring their own containers to fill with products, jars, reusable bags, clean takeaway containers or whatever you have on hand. Andrea says it takes some organisation. This kind of shopping requires a bit of organisation from our clients. So who has not very much time probably is the struggle to shop like the uh, it's very comfortable to go in a supermarket and get everything ready now in a trolley and go to the car and finish yeah like, so with here yeah. you have to have your jars ready before you leave the house and then you have to, know you have to you go want. to shopping uh, yeah. page the ball in another shop uh, or meet uh, so it's like a whole style shopping plastic waste has become a global crisis and we often hear the experts warn us that there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish in the near future. By making small changes to the way we shop and the food we consume every day, we can slowly make a big difference and become one step closer to a zero-waste and more eco-friendly way of life. Refill shops have plenty on offer to buy. So we do all your basic dry food, so anything from pastas, rice, flours, sugars, nuts, seeds, lentils, beans... Um, we do also olive oils, vinegars, um, all the household detergents, washing up liquid, shampoo, conditioners, body washes. Um, they'd be all the refills. And then we do all uh, eco-friendly, plastic-free products. A lot of it is Irish-made, so soaps, solid shampoo bars, makeup remover pads, all of those kind of things. Food waste is only one part of the problem and only a portion of the waste that we leave behind. That's where the circular economy comes in. In essence, the circular economy sees consumers reimagining their relationship with stuff and placing more emphasis on sharing, leasing, reusing, repairing, refurbishing and recycling everything in order to stretch out its life cycle for as long as possible. Clothes are key to this. Second hand is key to the circular economy, and Wendy and Andrea are a platform for local businesses such as Peach Vintage. Peach Vintage is an online consignment store owned by Katie. She sells pre-loved vintage and new clothing. Unfortunately, we're never going to eradicate fast fashion and the likes of your Sheens and your other big stores that um, take over. There's a huge problem there, um, but I suppose uh, I do see with the younger people that they are starting to move slowly, but surely they like to look unique. Um, Vintage is unique. Generally, no. Um, vintage has to be over 20 years old to be, vi- to be called vintage. And the likelihood of you having the same clothes as somebody else beside you um, is very, very rare. Whereas fast fashion, everybody's wearing the same thing and everybody looks the same. And it's, I suppose it's all about um, style and how you know, people like to look, look good and look different. And I suppose by wearing vintage or wearing something that the likes of myself make um, you'll be the only one wearing it. Another benefit from the circular economy is a reduction in total annual greenhouse gas emissions. According to the European Environment Agency, industrial processes and product use are responsible for 9.1% of greenhouse gas emissions in the EU, while the management of waste accounts for 3.32%. 
Creating more efficient and sustainable products from the start would help to reduce energy and resource consumption, as it's estimated more than 80% of a product's environmental impact is determined during the design phase. A shift to more reliable products that can be reused, upgraded and repaired would reduce the amount of waste. Packaging is a growing issue, and the average European generates nearly 180 kilos of packaging waste every year. And the aim is to tackle excessive packaging and improve its design to promote reuse and recycling. To learn more about the circular economy, go to the European Parliament online or visit Earthway Refill in Middleton. You can also check out the show notes for this episode. Ours to Protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. I was talking about electricity and electricity prices a couple of minutes ago. Somebody says, Trish, I feel so sorry for people who have to waste their lives trying to save a penny here and a penny there. It's absolutely an awful way uh, to live. Yeah, and actually I saw grocery prices. I might, I won't get to it this hour. I might try and get to it the next hour. Just showing how grocery prices still, even though we're seeing some falls in some products, they're still higher than what they were uh, last year. So for a lot of families, that is the reality. They really are. robbing from Peter to pay Paul and scrimping every single day just to keep food on the table are trying to keep the lights on. And then Pat says when it comes to electricity charges, Pat says he remembers when he was young. They had an oil lamp on the wall and that was their light. Uh, We managed grand. If we went back instead of forwards, things might be easier for people. And I don't know, Pat, if you're suggesting that everyone goes back and starts using oil uh, lamps. I do know a lot of people have tried to save on their electricity by cutting back on their electricity usage. You'll hear of people who say, you know, that they keep the, they they don't make sure lights are off in rooms that are uh, empty. I mean, during the winter ones, we heard of people and it always saddened me going to bed early in order to try to save on the heat and on the electricity. So I think people are trying to do their very best. I don't know if oil lamps would be the way to uh, go, but yeah, simpler times for sure when people didn't have huge bills. I was listening uh, to the news there with uh, Barry and uh, Councillor Ian Doyle from Charleville uh, was talking about the passing of Martin Condon. Uh, people in the Charleville and uh, surrounding areas would, would have known Martin really well. He was, of course, the uh, Managing Director of uh, Cabinets of uh, Charleville. And I can just say how sad I was to hear of the passing of Martin. He was a, a lovely, lovely man. And can I just pass on my deepest sympathies to his wife, uh, Geraldine, and all of the extended uh, family. Uh, may Martin uh, rest in peace. 0818103103 to texts and comments coming in just to wrap up on some of the ones coming in about RTE and yet again before the uh, Public Accounts Committee yesterday and now we're at 26 hours of hearings at all of the various committees which seems incredible that it was 26 hours anyway uh, somebody John says Patricia how long will it be before RTE will go cap in hand to the government looking for more taxpayers money to prop up what John feels is a dysfunctional RTE the public service part absolutely should be supported but the commercial side should either sink or swim says John we will see a much slimmed down version of RTE in future 
Unfortunately, John feels that many of the rank and file good people could end up losing their jobs. And can I say, John, it is going to be sooner rather than uh, later because they were already before all of this broke when Dee Forbes was in charge earlier on this year. She'd already been into the government to say that RT will need a bailout this year. They got a bailout last year. I don't know how many years they've been getting uh, a bailout. And I know Kevin Backhurst hates to see the word uh, the word bailout used, but I can't think of any other word if they can't meet ends meet than it is a bailout so yes you are right it will be taxpayers money uh, they'll have to go to the public purse uh, to keep themselves afloat if we want to keep a public service broadcaster that's what the taxpayer is going to have to do Michael says uh, Patricia listening to all the contradictions again yesterday at the Oireachtas committee I feel we're simply going around in circles and the frustration was very evident on all sides yesterday my big fear though now is how many lawsuits are RTE and in turn us the tax pair going to face out of all the mishandling of all of this. I think the new DG, Kevin Backhurst, has a huge job ahead of them. He seems to put his foot in it though slightly with his interviews and comments outside of the committees. And what does that do? It just adds fuel to the fire. Not helped by the weakness of the chair of the board. She really does mean well, but she seems to be a little bit out of her depth, particularly when she was being questioned. This will rumble on and on for a very long time. And while that happens, it just continues to damage the reputation of RTE. And that's from Michael. I think I mentioned earlier, there's six reviews going on at the moment. So all of those are going to have to uh, report. And then what comes out of those will probably have to be looked into as well. So I think you're right. It will go on. And the longer it goes on, the more damage is done. Uh, Michael, you're spot on for that. Somebody said they, that they, they don't miss Ryan Tupperty on the radio at all. And also wants to point out that nurses... Uh, nursing assistants, SNAs, uh, get paid uh, peanuts. They are the monkeys when somebody uh, says that we need to be paying big money if we want to keep these stars in our country. 0818103103. No name on this text, but somebody says, I rarely, to be honest, maybe never praise a politician. Listening to your programme this morning, I was listening to Councillor Seamus McGrath. He's hardworking, he's sincere, and he's like a dog with a bone over difficult issues. He is right about the manhole covers that he spoke to you about today. These covers should be flush with the road or the footpath. And when they are set in too deep, even if it's only ever so slightly, they are a trip hazard for pedestrians. And also, what about cyclists? They can be bumped off their bicycles if they hit one of these that isn't properly aligned. If a cyclist swerves to avoid one, they then risk a possible collision with a passing vehicle. The utility companies must step up, yeah. And I was quite disappointed to hear Seamus say that when it's pointed out to a utility company, they don't go out and do something, you know, ASAP. I mean, particularly when, you know, you have somebody like a local councillor saying, look, I have somebody who had a really bad fall because of a manhole cover on the footpath of the road or whatever it was, you think they'd be out the next day, wouldn't you? But that doesn't seem to be the case. 0818 at 103 103. I was talking about um, whales. Remember earlier on, because we were talking about this huge fin whale that unfortunately is now lying on the beach down in Kerry and what are the council going to do with it? Well, somebody's drawn our attention to a piece that's making the Times at newspaper today and there's a picture attached, which I have to say, if you have the newspaper today, page 16 might be a bit upsetting if you decide to go to it. And it was to do with a British cruise line. They've had to apologise to their passengers um, after they witnessed the aftermath of the killing of 78 beach 
or sorry, 78 pilot whales. This was in the Faroe Islands. Holidaymakers were aboard a cruise ship that was being operated by Ambassador Cruises. Now, there was more than a thousand passengers on board and they arrived into the Faroe Islands at what is called the traditional grind was just ending. Now, in the picture, you can see a huge, large pool of blood uh, is visible. And that was the welcome that the people on this cruise ship got. Now, I saw the chief executive of the ambassador uh, cruises uh, said they're extremely disappointed that this happened after weeks of trying to open up constructive dialogue with the government of the Faroe Islands and also visit Faroes, obviously their tourist board about this issue. They say that as a cruise liner, they continue to educate their guests and crew by telling them, please do not buy or eat any whale or dolphin meat uh, and stand against any profiteering from commercial whaling and dolphin uh, hunts. A spokesperson for the line said, when they were asked, would they consider boycotting the islands as a place uh, to say to say they they said they have considered it, but they were saying by boycotting it, if they thought by boycotting it and stopping not having the cruise itineraries include the Faroe Islands, if they thought it would change in any way, they would consider it. But they said it won't. It's one of these things that's just going to continue go on to go on. Now they call it the grind, and it involves herding whales and dolphins into shallow bays where they're beached, killed, and then butchered. The tradition now dates back to 1,100 years ago and many islanders consider the practice part of their cultural heritage. Yet experts say any link with tradition has long been lost because what they do today is they use helicopters and speedboats to locate the dolphins and the whales and to get as many of them as possible to beach onto the shore. And that's very different to what the good people of the Faroe Islands would have been doing over a thousand years ago. Now, the use of harpoons and spears, that's banned. So the whales and dolphins are killed on land in front of spectators. And there's a large group of people standing to watch it and you can see all the blood in the water it's really really horrific what happens is the animal's dorsal fins are slashed their spines severed and then that leads to a huge amount of blood draining across the beach and into the sea the meat and the blubber is then sold on as food and such magnificent creatures to see them end up like that is truly truly sad 0818 103 I mentioned climate change earlier and I was talking in particular about climate experts are very fearful about this heat wave that is hitting the northern hemisphere America is affected parts of mainland Europe are affected and China is uh, affected and we know we have a problem with climate change well Mossy in West Cork is bringing up an issue to help with climate uh, change and to help with all of our carbon emissions and he says it's contraception he says contraception should be endorsed and used more widespread around the world he said doctors, religious groups and governments should see the benefits of having a smaller population on the earth. The world, if we had a smaller population, would use less water, less food, food and less fossil fuels. Therefore, it would be good for the environment if we had less of a population in the world. For women, Mossy points out, there are 12 forms of contraception. I didn't know there was that many. And there's two for men. He said that approximately 120 million babies are born every year but yet only 65 million people die. And he said, if you want to get confirmation of those, just Google the stats. So, of course, I did when anybody encourages me to do a quick Google search. That's exactly what I did. And Martin, or Mossy, should I say, in West Cork, is uh, spot on with the, the figures that he is giving, giving, uh, giving us. But the problem is that we have a 
an ageing uh, population. So the experts reckon, looking at the figures, and they sort of compare between the 1950s and today, you know, how many people are being born in the world. And the population projections are showing that every year the births will remain around that figure of 130 to 140 million. And Mossy reckons that's the figure we should be targeting to reduce the number of people that are born every year. But experts are saying that it's expected the numbers of births versus deaths is expected to decline slowly, but it's not going to happen until the second half of this century. As the world population ages, and that is happening, and we are living longer, but what will happen is the annual number of deaths will continue to increase, but that's not going to happen until the coming decades because people are living longer. So as the number of births is expected to fall slowly and the number of deaths will rise at the end of this century, then the global population uh, growth will continue to fall. And that's when the world population will stop increasing into the future. But we're a long, long way off that. Would you agree with Mossy that the way to go is to encourage more people to stop having babies and to uh, cut down on the number of babies that are born every year? Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. There will be a Kaylee in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic uh, tonight, half past nine. Music is by Jerry McCarthy. Admission is 10 euro. It does include teas. Bingo is on in Kildarroi tonight at eight in the store, the Creamer Yard. This week's jackpot is 2,000 euro. Ballincollig Vintage Motor Club are holding a charity cars and coffee uh, morning followed by a vintage car run. It's happening this Sunday. The coffee morning is in the Ballincollig Rugby Club at 11 and then the vintage run is at 1 and it's in aid of Avine's Children's Charity. And please note for the vintage run that the 20 year rule applies. Mel and there's another vintage uh, club having a working day. This is Mellory Vintage Club. That's happening on uh, Sunday in Kappa in County Waterford. Gates will open at 11. There will be a vintage silage cutting, vintage show. There will be food, village, music and dancing. All proceeds are going to the Peter McVerry Trust and the Southeast Radiotherapy Trust. And dancing at the Mushra platform, that's on Sunday. Music is by Tim, Joe and Anne and that's on from 3pm until 5.30 on Sunday. No cover charge and all are very welcome to attend. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. We'll go to the movies with Mark Malone. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. You're very welcome. Okay, two movies, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and then Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves. We have a trailer from Mission Impossible. We have a problem. The world is changing. War is coming. Well, it was bound to happen sooner or later. Ethan, listen to me. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. (laughs) 
Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible and this is the guy I've seen trailers from it he does all his own stunts the guy is incredible he is extraordinary yeah and like what he was 58 I think when he made this film and he's still throwing himself out of planes you know what I mean and there's the famous stunt I presume you've seen uh, it's all over the internet the famous stunt in this one where he goes over the side of the cliff and uh, parachutes his way down you know the problem is that the the thing is that there's very little CGI as we know in these movies because Tom Cruise uh, decides to do it all for real Uh, but uh, what I thought was a bit of a shame is that particular stunt in the film where he goes over the side of the the, the mountain they obviously had to CGI out the kind of the ramp that he went up on the motorcycle and it kind of uh, I don't know the way way it was filmed it doesn't look particularly real it looks kind of CGI'd which Ah. is a shame and it undermines the, 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 the stunt but the good thing about it is that as you're watching it you know it's for real. That's what I love about these you know movies. I mean? Yeah, yeah, and of course, over the years he has done some extraordinary stunts. I mean, this is the seventh in the series, and um, and the films, as I say, have just gotten better and better as time went on. I mean, the first one was basically a thriller yeah, directed by I Brian De Palma. Yeah. Yes, it was all full of kind of very strange kind of camera kind of techniques. And the second one, then John Woo uh, directed it, which people hate. Mission Impossible Two. I think it's really cool. I really like it. I've always liked it. Then J.J. Abrahams took over, and then uh, Brad Bird took over, and then um, Tom decided to. Go team up with Christopher McQuarrie who directs uh, uh, has directed the last three movies this one was made in conjunction with the next one so they actually filmed both at the very very same time that's why yeah that's why they call it Dead Reckoning Part 1 yeah I think the next one is coming out in 2024 so you're going to have to wait but one of the reasons you've got to wait is because they had uh, some terrible problems making it Uh, they had terrible production problems and all because of Covid of course and uh, they were filming in Italy when it broke broke, and uh, there's that famous piece of audio of Tom Cruise just losing it with the crew and going crazy and Swearing. That, yeah. But he must have been under huge amounts of pressure because he wanted people to obey the rules because that was the only way this film could be made as, of course, the costs just rose and rose and rose. Now, it says this cost uh, $300 million to make. Now, I don't know if that's the two movies together or not. Um, and for movies that cost about that kind of money, they've got to make about $800 million to even kind of break even at all uh, because, of course, they spend twice again on advertising and, and in yeah. promotion, you know, yeah. which is why, unfortunately, it looks as though Indiana Jones will not reach anywhere near that kind of money. And Indiana Jones was three fifty, I think, yeah, to make, yeah. and uh, that needs to make about uh, twice that, two and a half times that to, to kind of break even. And I don't think it's going to do that, which is uh, a bit of a shame. You know what I mean? Because I kind of half liked it. I liked some of it. I didn't yeah. like some of uh, like some of it. And because uh, it's been a disaster of a season for uh, for for Hollywood. I mean, it, instead of uh, blockbuster season, it's called the flopbuster season this year with Indiana Jones, uh, with Elemental, the new Pixar movie, which has also died at the box office. Flash died at the box office. So once again, like last year with Top Gun they are looking at Tom Cruise being the saviour of the box office I think it's at about a 96% approval rating I think on um, Rotten Tomatoes which is no surprise to me because this is very very good indeed look it's two and a half hours long I complained about Indiana Jones being similar um, uh, running time and that I got quite bored during the film and that it was too long for me at no stage throughout this film did I look at my watch did I kind of uh, lose concentration I was just in it the whole time from start to finish I mean and that's all down to Tom Tom Cruise. I was just going to say, who are you attributing that to, Tom Cruise? Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, a, it's it's an extraordinary film. It's just action-packed from start to finish. Now, you know, there are a couple of bits that I wasn't really keen on. There are a couple of bits that I thought were a bit silly. I think the script isn't particularly great. The script is just basic. Uh, I'm a bad guy. You're a bad guy. I'm going to come after you. Well, come after me and try and see if you can catch me. It's that kind of basic level. But that's not the point. The point is, is that uh, it's very, very exciting and brilliantly directed. And it's the film, really, that you would wish that Indiana Jones was. It's so tightly directed and and with a film that long, it has to be. The pacing has to be, uh, you know, dead on. And some of the stunts, which at least you know when you're watching it, you know they're all real. Like, for example, but there are, it's actually there's a lot of similarities in the storyline to, uh, to, 
Indiana Jones in that they had to find this kind of uh, this kind of a MacGuffin uh, which was in two pieces the same here uh, they're up against and this is about AI by the way which is very very topical at the moment as, as yeah, you know yeah. I mean, they started making this four or five years ago so I mean you can imagine like they, they were they were looking into the future uh, so there's this um, AI called the uh, the entity which it looks as though it's going to uh, control the world and it already is it's beginning to control uh, pretty much everything that's electrical in the world uh, but the only way to take it down is to get this key which is in two parts which is interesting because there was a similar story in Indiana Jones where they had to try and find Archimedes uh, kind of time uh, model which was also in two parts there's also um, a sequence here where they're on a train but at least here you know that it's Tom Cruise on a train it wasn't uh, Harrison Ford on the train uh, the other one and uh, there's also lots of car chases which are similar to the Tuk Tuk scene uh, in um, in Indiana Jones and also he's teamed up here with another English woman like for example Indiana Jones who is Phoebe Waller-Bridge here it's Hayley Atwell um, who is kind of uh, his foil uh, in this movie uh, so as he's trying to find this particular key to try and save the world um, he's got to come up against the CIA who have put a kind of um, 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 who, who want to take him down because he's gone rogue he's also got to deal with um, a former terrorist who I think was in the third movie uh, okay. he's still around and uh, he wants to kind of team up with the, uh, the entity uh, to control the world also Rebecca Ferguson is back again Simon Pegg as Benji I'd like to have seen a little bit more Simon I think because I think he's been always a, a lovely kind of comic foil uh, to, uh, to, to, Tom. to Tom Cruise yeah. uh, we, I'd like to have seen a little bit more of him in the film but look it's exciting from start to finish well done. and it looks as though it's going to be a big hit and it d- deserves to be okay Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and it's one of those movies go see it at the movies don't wait for it to come out oh indeed you need yeah. to see it, it, has to be to see it on movie. the big screen yeah. okay market out of 10 I'll give it 9 9 out of 10 okay now Dragon Dungeons and Dragons Honour Amongst Thieves yeah, this is based on uh, the game playing uh, I was just, there's a game Dungeons the, and Dragons yeah yeah, 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 yeah. my, my yeah. daughter plays it yeah. uh, with all her friends so so she went to see it in the cinema some time back with all her friends because uh, obviously she didn't want dad coming along because they wanted to go themselves. And she came back and she said, look, this is absolutely terrific. It's really, really good. You, sh- you should see it. So I said, look, I'll wait for it to come out on streaming. And uh, because I thought, is, is it really kind of my thing, Dungeons and Dragons? I wasn't sure if I was going to like it or not. So uh, it is available on streaming. I decided to watch it. Again, it's very long. It's about two and a half, two, two hours, 20 minutes long. And again, when it finished, I went, do you know something that was absolutely terrific? Well, so I'm glad to be able to say I'm, I come because in Because I, I remember when it came out of the movies and I was wondering, did you need to be, like your daughter, a player of Dungeons & Dragons in order to get it? It certainly helps, you know what I mean? But um, the thing is, it's so well written and the characters are so well uh, kind of thought out that it just, and it's so funny, that's the thing. I mean, what they wanted to do when they came to make this, they looked at things like The Princess Bride, uh, they looked at, uh, at Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, they looked at Lord of the Rings and decided to, you know, that was going to be uh, what they were going to kind of look at and base it on. Uh, there's a, a terrific scene, for example, where they're in a cemetery and they brought these soldiers to life again. So these skeletons, they have a conversation with these skeletons. And uh, but they, they can only ask the, the skeletons five questions before they, they die again. And it is straight Monty Python. It is straight out of the Holy Grail. There's a scene at the Holy Grail where they're trying to cross um, a, a bridge and a wizard has to ask them questions. It's obviously based on that and it's okay. very, very similar. 
Uh, Chris Pine not only stars here, but he's also the producer as well. And, you know, he's the star of the movie, but he is not the big action star of the movie, which is which I think is terrific of him. And he leaves that to Michelle Rodriguez. I mean, she's, uh, you I know, love her. Uh, she's the one who kind of dominates uh, all of that. Reggae Jean Page is in it as well. Hello. And uh, he's terrific as well. The whole film looks absolutely beautiful. It was made here. Because oh. um, I, I forgot that it was made here. Because as I'm watching it, I'm going, this is Ireland, isn't it? And it was. It was made in Northern Ireland and looks beautiful. The standard of the CGI is absolutely terrific. Now, the standard of the CGI in Indiana Jones at times was very, very poor. And it's a big, big movie, you know. And it was very well received when it came out. But I think people were a bit reticent, like me, not to go and see it. So hopefully uh, people will discover it on streaming. Stream, yeah. Hugh Grant, who's been making a, a career out of playing bad guys lately, <laughs> comes here again as a sleazy bad guy. And of course, he's just having a ball playing these kind of characters. By the way, just as a tangent, have you seen the new trailer to Wonka, the new Timothy Chalamet? Uh, no, I haven't, but I'm looking forward to it. Is it good? But I'll tell you this. <laughs> Watch it and keep an eye out for Hugh Grant okay. because you will get the biggest laugh you have ever okay, had. Okay, I will. I will do that this afternoon. So from start to finish, look, again, it's very, very well paced. It's brilliantly directed. The film looks beautiful. You know, it's bright and cheerful and it's funny. And uh, it was way better than I really thought it was going to be. Okay, mark that out of 10. I'll give it eight. Eight out of 10. Actually, talking of trailers, uh, John has been on to say... I can't can pronounce this guy's, this guy's name. Joachim Phoenix. Joachim. Joachim, Joachim Phoenix is starring in the new Napoleon movie. Has Mark seen the trailer and is he looking forward to seeing this movie? Uh, I have seen the trailer. Yeah. And uh, Joachim, anything with Joachim in it, uh, you know, interests me because he really is one of Hollywood's finest actors. So I'm certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, sure, why not? Is it? Okay. So, yeah. All right. And when is that you out? Is that? Uh, I don't know. Trailers? That's a good yeah. question. Yeah. Very soon. Okay. Next couple of months. And it's all about Napoleon. It is. Is it? Okay, yeah. well that, now that would appeal to me. Anything like that, those historical ones I love. Okay, listen Mark, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for that. Have a lovely week. You too. And uh, we will chat with uh, Mark again next uh, Friday. Hi Patricia. It's the 22nd of November. You can tell Mark that that Napoleon movie is coming to our cinemas. Thank you for that with the Willy Wonka one arriving for Christmas. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the new Willy Wonka. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, anything to do with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from having read the original book to seeing the various movies. Okay, that's where I leave you uh, for today and indeed for this week. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. He's off in a little bit of his holidays, so he won't be with us for the next two weeks. Bernie will be sitting in, so we hope John Paul has a nice break. Uh, Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and I will be with you on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Stay in and stay dry for today. The weather forecast certainly isn't uh, great, but enjoy your weekend. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Clean Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103.